Welcome, welcome. Justin, thank you. Come on. I like you guys. Good to see you. Thank you for being here already. Two for two. Um, that was the Main Street panel. This is the Wall Street panel. Uh, I don't know. We're going to get deep. This is going to be fun again. I'm excited. Um, brilliant minds. Thank you guys. Help me welcome them. Justin Knight, head of Apple Reed. Who else do I got? Tyler Henritzi with Blackstone. Greg Keneally, Mission Hill, a KSL company. Did I get that right? Did I make That's it? That's right. Thank you. Uh, and Cerule Riller Capital, right? I don't know who's done the most deals this year. Yes, I do. It's Tyler. Yeah, it's Tyler. It? You were close. You were it's close. It's always Tyler. Why do you have to, do you have to ask the question? <laughs> I think so. You do it to- Making us feel to, bad. You do it to embarrass us? Like, who's done the most deals of all you guys? And then we all go, Tyler. <laughs> That's this. what it felt like. Yeah. It felt like, although you guys have tried. Uh, let's do this. Cyril, uh, Riller Capital. How old is Riller Capital now? Uh, Riller Capital is three years old. Have you accomplished anything in your three years? <laughs> <laughs> Not by Tyler's standards. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, so we have uh, just over 80 hotels with uh, um, a few in, uh, capital partners. We recently partnered with KKR uh, and have uh, been acquiring hotels uh, together for the past 18 months. We've bought uh, just over 65 hotels and about a billion six of assets. Wow. Did everybody hear that? Yes, wow. thank you. Oh, thank you. I mean, so again, I, I mean, Cyril cheated because he used to start with capital, learned everything he could from Barry. Can I hand you that? Then left and started his own company, Ruler Capital, and in three years, okay, two years, one year, a billion and a half dollars, a billion six? Yeah, overall we have just over two, over two billion. Two bi good? Over two billion dollars. Yeah. Wow. In three years of existence. I think that's fairly impressive. Thank you. Right? Long way to go, but thank, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Greg, similar story, sorry, KSL, starting from that, so big that we started, we gave it its own name, Mission Hill. Right, so how long have you guys been in this sort of limited service space, not in hotels, but how long has KSL been in the limited service space? Jumped in in co middle of COVID. We did, so we, we, we actually, Mission Hill celebrated its one year anniversary this past Saturday, so we're one year and two days old. And, and any, what have you accomplished in your first year? <laughs> uh, so we, we've acquired 18 hotels, 18. Uh, a little over 520 million of enterprise value. So by my math, I'm indexing behind my partner over here. I know, you gotta pick up the gotta pace. Gotta work on that. That's all right, but that's impressive. In the first year, 18 hotels. I mean, again, back to what the last group said was all the money that's piling into the space. Like, here it's coming. Uh, and Tyler Blackstone, did you guys do anything last year? I don't remember. We bought, I think we, we thought we would have been busier coming out of COVID, and, and I think the world probably thought there was going to be a lot more Everybody activity. Everybody thought you'd be so, busier. So um, we, we were less busy than I think we all expected we were going to be when we yep. were sitting around a couple years ago when our, all of our hotels were you know, shut down. Um, but uh, last year we bought Extended Stay America for the third time, um, which I did not think would happen again, with uh, Cyril's old company, Starwood, and uh, have been excited about that and have done a, another add-on acquisition just recently. Um, into that business as well. So let's dive into that. Are you, is there a fundamental shift? Is Blackstone, I mean, you guys seem to be the leader. You go and everyone sort of follows. But so you're buying ESA, you're buying Wood Springs. Is there an extended stay, mid-market extended stay model, the I, blending of hotel and multifamily? Yeah, I don't think that it's really a shift. I think we've always thought about our hotel strategy, or at least the way we think about it today, is um, we, we like focusing on hotel businesses or assets that know what they are. And what I mean by that is um, we, we want to either focus on 
the type of hotels that when you say you're going to stay at them, you say the place by name. I think about like the Grand Wailea. It's, it's, you're, not, you're not just looking for a hotel room in Maui. You're, you're you know, quoting and, and thinking about a very specific place. At the other end of the spectrum, I think we like the select service business that knows that they're in the rooms business. They're not selling you a great meal. They're not trying to wow you with a fancy bar. They're, they're in the rooms business. They know it and they're maniacally focused on that. I think uh, extended stay falls into that category. They know exactly what they are. Um, I think the difference this time around relative to the last two is we, 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 we certainly had seen um, some pretty phenomenal fundamentals in, in our residential multifamily business. And that business, um, and I, I think Starwood sort of led the charge on this uh, with in-town suites, really ha has become um, a bit more of a uh, multifamily alternative. And I think based on the tailwinds that we saw in our multifamily business, we got excited about extended stay, kind of looking at it in a different lens. We saw multifamily cap rates going to kind of crazy low levels. Um, and this was a business that we could still buy at what we felt like was a pretty attractive cash yield. And, and again, it knew exactly what its place was in the world. And um, so hence, hence we bought it again. Uh, is there an exit strategy? And what I mean by that is in town, how long did Starwood, has Starwood owned in town? I think it was acquired in 2013. 2013, they still own it. A little bit of that is- We have no exit strategy. We just winged it. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, um, listen, I, I, I think with anything, um, you know, I think if you buy good assets and good businesses, there's always an exit strategy. And um, it, it does not, it, it is a great question for that business because you're not gonna break it up and necessarily sell individual assets, um, although, We've sold some, um, thanks to you guys and others. Um, but the company has, it's been public, it's been taken private a couple of times. Um, it, it does have the scale that could allow it to go public, but um, I, I, um, I certainly, um, um, we're, we're very early in kind of that investment, so we're not thinking about exit at this point yet. Before I, before I get off of that, sure, you think he's made a fundamental shift? You think he's put the mark down that says extended stay is the place where everybody should be? It is a good business. I mean, it's, it's a very good business, and the cash flow, well, one, you have uh, in-town suites, is their, their length of stay was over 90 days. You're not, you're not necessarily dealing with a hotel. It's not like right. they we're talking about a, a, a lesser quality residence in. It's, it's almost a completely different segment, and I think... I think with their knowledge base and, and the resiliency of the cash flows that, that this segment has demonstrated time and time again across multiple cycles, I think it was a, a very, very smart buy. Yeah, I think, I think everybody's seen that. Yeah. Justin, would you agree? Justin, you're, I'm gonna call you the old man, you're the old company in the group. Apple's been around now 20 years, right? I remember the day you guys were the young kids on the block. I remember those days. Remember well. that, that was yeah. fun. Yeah. I mean, what year? That was. Sorry, if I may digress. What year were you at this conference? You were a keynote speaker. It was like, and you said we just going to raise a billion dollars. Back when a billion dollars was, was real early, money. Early two thousands. Early two thousands. Yeah. First, sorry, my history. First entity in the sort of corporate Wall Street spectrum to come into our space to raise a billion dollars. They were the original crazy people in our industry. What are they thinking? They're overpaying for everything. How do they make it work? Am I wrong there? I, yeah, it, and it seems to work. 20 years later, we're doing all right, we're right? right. It, it was a good space to be <laughs> in. It was a good space to be in. Absolutely. Still glad we're here? Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, our background was in multifamily, and we segued into extended stay product with Homewood Suites and Residence Inn, and, and um, had seen kind of a shift towards that, especially with corporate travelers. Um, you know, and I, I think from that fell in love with the select service or rooms focused model. 
um, because of the margins. Um, the assets were smaller, so we could diversify our portfolio much better than we could buying big box full service hotels. And, and really, when you look at the performance of, of the portfolios we've owned through various cycles, um, you know, lower downside uh, with meaningful upside and strong cash returns during the hold period. I, I, you know, the other thing that really attracted us to this space, and I think still is underappreciated, is that CapEx as a percent of revenues or a percent of the bottom line is meaningfully lower. Um, we're able to maintain the assets um, and keep them competitive uh, at a, a much lower cost. Um, and so when you look at returns over an extended hold period, um, it's a, a great place to be. And I, I think the fact that others have come into the space and, and are recognizing that now uh, is further validation. Yeah, Greg. I, I mean, operationally, I remember when we owned the Waldorf, somebody described it to me as they said, this is like a city. I said, what do you mean? They go, well, there's like a mayor, and there's a city council, <laughs> and there's like bureaucracy, and it's crazy. And you, when you walk around, you see it. You talk to people. Some guy's been there for 30 years, somebody else 40 years. They've, I mean, it's like, oh, you can't get a drink at this bar without talking to some. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, and if you, there's a, there's a Waldorf in every city, uh, you know, a, a big full-service hotel that's the grand dame of that city, and they're fun places to go, but operationally, they're a nightmare. I mean, a complete nightmare to operate. The select service business, uh, operations are important, but you know, it is a, uh, a, a, a much more uniform box. You know, the FTE uh, program is uniform, and, and you can, if, if, you, if you learn tweaks, you can scale those. And I'm sure Justin, across their business, there's things they've identified in one hotel, and they say, okay, let's just replicate that across the whole portfolio. Um, the full service you know, model uh, at the large and complex scale, I every asset is, a, is like a you know, small bureaucracy. Yeah, it's a career, yeah. I mean, a lot of these assets. Yeah. It takes you 15 years to figure it out, where I don't think there's anyone in the room that thinks it takes 15 years to figure out a courtyard, so. Hopefully not. <laughs> Greg, what brought you guys? I mean, KSL's traditionally being a resort investor, right? And doing, sure. done it really well. So what brought, Echo, what brought you to get this to this space? Yeah, you know, KSL has been investing in the Grand Wileys of the world for, in fact, that hotel specifically at one point, uh, you know, for the last 30 years. And the, ironically, it was the operational complexity that drew them to it because they felt that if they really leaned in, there were just all these different levers that you could use to, to add incremental value. And that, that strategy obviously served them very well for a long, long time. Uh, we, meaning we KSL, looked at the selection of extended stay space for many years, frankly, and could never quite figure out how to get into the space because, you know, KSL brings, frankly, just certain biases, I guess, which was, you know, we're a relatively big fund. How do we how do we scale the pursuit of, you know, a $20 million Hampton Inns, right? How do we do that with the same rigor and intensity that KSL would apply to a large, you know, three $400 million resort? Uh, and the second piece was, you know, KSL has had owner-operator alignment as a key part of their model since forever, right? And so the idea of buying a hotel and handing the keys to someone that you don't have a long-term relationship with felt foreign to them. And we looked at a lot of portfolio deals uh, over the years and just could never quite get comfortable for those reasons. And, and at the end of the day said, you know what, the only way to do this is to kind of take some of KSL's DNA, um, I'm sort of the token DNA carrier in this scenario, and then hire up a team of folks with a great deal of select service extended stay expertise, keep that group small, have them focused on nothing but that, and figure out how to bring the playbook you know, to the simpler operating model like Tyler was talking about. Do you think this is a trend? Or, or I hope not. 
<laughs> you think it goes backwards? You think at some point we're standing up here saying everybody's getting out of this, we've got to go back to resorts? No. No, I, I mean, I think resorts will do well. I, and really, as we think about the hotel space, resorts, large convention houses like this, I, they have a place. But when you look at all of the other hotels that exist outside of those specific purposes, so resort, I, I put luxury out there as well, everything else, select service hotels do the same thing and do it better and more efficiently. And, and I think um, because you're able to renovate those hotels more cost effectively, the assets remain relevant for longer as well. You know, I, I, I think we think, and, and again, obviously we're biased in this regard. We're, we're one of the few groups wholly invested in select service. Holy. But, um, you know, I, I think for us, it's a model that, that just works better consistently. Investing, people make a lot of money investing in big resort hotels. Um, but it's so dependent on timing the cycle exactly right. Um, and if you do a lot, if, if you do select service and scale, um, it, it's a significantly less risky business. I mean, yeah, just so we don't sort of throw resorts under the bus too quickly here, we, we would have loved to have bought more really complicated, yeah. very difficult to manage yeah, so resort hotels sure. in the last couple of years. I, I think if you look sort of from a performance standpoint, you know, they, they rebounded a lot quicker coming out of the pandemic, especially resort assets that were pure leisure that were drive to, and they're kicking butt today. I mean, um, you know, I'll take the Hotel Del Coronado, which is a great example in San Diego, Southern California. Um, you know, that asset in 2021 um, did EBITDA that was about 130% of what it did in 2019, and this year we're budgeting it'll do about 170%. So, you know, 1.7 times the profitability of what it did in 2019. Don't have to get on an airplane, you can get your kids out of the house, and you can, you know, go, go be on the beach. That, that obviously, you know, um, when, when the music shut down and we were carrying that full labor load with zero revenue, that was a scary day. But I think it's because of how quickly these resort assets have bounced back. I think that's one of the reasons why we're not sitting here talking about deals that this group has done in that space over the last couple of years. There hasn't been a lot of quality that's, that's traded, whereas I think some of the select and extended state stuff has been, you know, has a little, a little less beta and there's been a little yep. bit more transaction activity. Mm -hmm. It's a much larger investable universe on a sort of on a unit mm -hmm. basis, right? There's just fundamentally more deals to look at. Mm -hmm. But just to, on Justin's point though, I, I think one of the things you will see, Teague, is there's a, there's sort of the arms race is underway, right? I mean, a select service hotel from 10 or 15 years ago had a different value proposition than many of the hotels that are still called select service that are being built today, right? It's, it's the rooftop bar, it's, right, it's an elevated room product, et cetera. So you're seeing that happen and so, my guess is that, that the operational complexity moves up. I, I think selectively that will happen in, in certain markets, but, um, but not everywhere. I, I think the quality of construction has meaningfully improved in select service. Yeah. And, I, and I think oh, for sure. the longevity, uh, from an investment standpoint, we have greater confidence that investing in a newer built, say, you know, something built over the last decade or so in select service will be relevant 20 years from now than we do if we reach back, you know, 30 years in the select service space. I think, I mean, we're sort of talking about the barbells, you know, we're talking about sort of the resorts on one end and then sort of compact high margin select service assets on the other. I, the, the more interesting conversation, in my opinion, is what none of us are talking about, which is the middle, which is, you know, a, a generic full service, you know, ish hotel in kind of an urban market that's got, you know, you, you, you don't get the, uh, the, the rates to justify a full labor uh, load, um, and you've got a physical box that was built for a day and time when people 
thought they were going to get a meal at their, you know, like, you know, local, I'm, not, I'm hesitant to say a specific, you know, specific asset or brand, but, you know, the, the sort of your generic full-service hotel. That, I think, is a really difficult, you know, place to that. Um, and, and to me, what happens to some of those boxes, because they're under pressure from modern select service that's, you know, designed and built for t today's sort of lean and mean operating standards with not a lot of excess space. And again, they know what, they are, they know what business they're in. Um, some of these older sort of quasi full service boxes that aren't in markets where you It's the only paid. place you'll find any distress right now. Right, right. Actually, I mean, we could talk about, uh, you know, you, you look at the panels over today and they're talking about all the challenges facing the hospitality industry and labor shortages and labor costs and inflation and interest rates and everything's coming, but pricing seems to be completely unaffected by this. Probably because Teague's an excellent broker. But, uh, but, 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 but it seems pricing's unaffected by this, and you could say that's because of the wall of capital or not. But if you wanted to find any distress, it's in those 350 room, 400 room boxes in, in kind of urban markets. Or you could look at you know New York, San Francisco, which yeah. have bigger fundamental challenges. But I, I mean, you look at what happened to that same type of box in suburban markets historically, because I, I mean, almost every airport had you know two or three of those hotels, yep. and they they just don't exist anymore. A number of them were converted to select service boxes, and others were bulldozed. I I, I think you're right. That that's that segment um, that that I, I think has a, a a tentative or a tenuous future. So to put numbers to that, w just as examples, well, let's see, we're selling, uh, um, I mean, all the ACs and, and Hyatts and everything are now 300,000 a key, 400,000 a key, mm -hmm. right? We sold, we're selling the in on fifth in uh, Naples, Florida. So back to your Doral point where everyone flooded, the NOI's doubled pre-COVID to today. The value has doubled pre-COVID to today. It's a $155 million asset. It's $1.3 million a key. And no one bats an eye at it. Everyone's like, yeah, is that all? Sounds great. We'd like to buy it. Conversely, we're selling a full-service Hilton in Oak Brook, Illinois, suburb Chicago, right? Oak Brook. For what should that be? All in at 150000 a key? All in? Oh, by the way, half of that's probably renovation. Probably costs you 75000 a key to renovate the thing, which means you're buying it for only 75000 a key. To your point where the distress is today. Well, yeah, you add, I mean, for that asset, I don't, I don't know the asset specifically, but you would add potential union concerns and taxes and we see co uh, costs rising through the roof. It makes profitability a very, very difficult, uh, very difficult calculation, especially when you think of time spent on that asset and scalability of that bet versus the scalability of, of, the, of, the, of the residents in across the street. Well, and some of, some of that's market, too. So, it, I mean, if you look at where new hotels were developed over the last cycle, um, they were developed. Yes. Significant development happened in historically high barrier to entry markets. So, you know, downtown uh, Manhattan, you had Chicago, downtown Chicago, a ton of new select service hotels going into those markets. And then, uh, you know, and you didn't have as much in California, but, but you had um, significant pullback in demand in those same markets that had seen outsized supply growth over the past several years. Um, you know, I, I think in that type of environment, um, assuming we don't see a full rebound in short order, there'll be a, a bit of a reset. And some of the older assets that really didn't have a place kind of fall by the wayside. So give me some other good markets. You talk to markets, you brought it up. I mean, Florida, we get, but tell yeah. me what markets everybody likes and what markets you don't like. 
Uh, I, I mean, we're big on business-friendly markets right now right. Uh, with multiple demand generators. So, you know, and, and especially markets that have a decent amount of leisure demand in addition to um, business demand. We, we think business transit comes back. And that's the story we're talking about a year from now is how quickly business transit comes back. But we don't think it comes back to 100% in every market. You know, we, we think uh, a lot of shifts have happened during the pandemic. And some of the markets that were historically really strong on the business transient um, side come back, but not quite to 100%, while other markets, uh, you know, see business transient push past prior levels. Um, business friendly, lower cost uh, to operate, um, you know, and, and where we have multiple demand generators. So a lot of Sunbelt markets, um, but everybody's looking at the Sunbelt now. So we're, we're trying to identify markets that are outside of the Sunbelt that have potential as well. I think, I mean, I mean, we're here in Atlanta, but I, I think what's happened in Midtown Atlanta, mm -hmm. pre-COVID to post-COVID has been as dramatic as anything in the country in terms of tech employment in and around Georgia Tech. And, you know, there, you, you, you don't hear a lot of office markets where net rents are up 20%. That's not all across Atlanta. It's not even in Buckhead. But in, in Midtown right now, if you've got a new office asset, a new building, rents are up 20%. That is because there's a dozen big tech firms that saw all this diverse engineering talent coming out of Georgia Tech and said, we need to be there and we can hire engineers cheaper than we can in California and elsewhere. I, I think that those companies are all hiring right now, right now, right now. I promise I can speak. Hmm. Um, and um, you're gonna see a lot of jobs come here and that's gonna create a lot of demand for hospitality. And so I, th I think um, you know, Atlanta's a great market and Midtown I think is gonna feel that over the next couple of years. You're seeing universities becoming a more and more mm -hmm. kind of a, a center. They're like anchors. They're anchors. like mall anchors. They're anchors. Where, where before it was, oh, they, de they generate their own demand and now it's no, they generate the talent that people want and people wanna kind of stay where they're at. So, so you look at Columbus, Yep. With the, the transformation yep. of Columbus has been fantastic. Even in obviously North Carolina markets, Cambridge, and, and you know, Cambridge, obviously specifically as a you know, as a sub. I mean, as a as a specific submarket in Boston. The, the the I would say if you if I, if there was an answer outside the Sun Belt, I would say look to the great universities, mm -hmm. big great universities. And, and I'm going to echo, and that seems part of that labor problem that we're all talking about. Yeah. they're going to get the bright young talent. That's coming out. That's why all those new tech companies moved right across the street from Georgia Tech, mm -hmm. right? So keep following some of those other markets. All right, give me a headwind. Cyril, give me a headwind. Oh, goodness. I think we've probably all, we've heard, yeah, heard we about them all day today. But I, I mean, I would say headwind for me, um, especially with our portfolio, which is primarily select service, w would certainly be labor. Yep. Uh, uncertainty on labor, uh, both, both not, not only as, as the cost, which I would say is... Um, a medium to long-term problem, not problem, but like a, it's a, it's a per shift is a per more semi-permanent to permanent shift that, that it's not just going to come crashing back, but I think it's more shortage, labor shortage and, and, and using temp labor, which then impacts guest satisfaction scores, which then impacts what you, what, what your PIP has to be when you, when you know, from, from the brands. And so the it's, we are still fundamentally a people business. And, and if you can't get the people right, the, the problems compound. Mm -hmm. And I think owners are feeling that, that, that multiple layers of problems that are stemming from this. 
but it goes beyond it, it's just it goes beyond the staff level right i mean a lot of the conversations around you know housekeeping as an example right because that tends to be the majority of the ftes in a given in any of our boxes but just fundamentally i think there's also a shortage of leadership talent sure. people have left the industry yes and the pipeline to replace that is is not as robust as it needs to be. The great resignation has hurt the hotel industry and service Huge. industry far, far more than just kind of as everyone talks about. It's, it's, mm. it's quite acute. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's DOS and general manager, but it's even above property level, right? We just, KSL sees that at our various portfolio companies. You know, Mission Hill is seeing that as we're trying to staff up the corporate team. It's just, there's a gap there. Labor, property taxes, insurance, distribution channel costs, Capital, it's a lot. He's not leaving a lot for me to mention, right? No, it's not. War, <laughs> war. There's, yeah, war. Uh, inflation's a concern for me long term, and, and in part because of cost creep in our business, but it's equally important as you think about um, the money that guests uh, who would travel to our hotels have available to spend in our hotels. Um, you know, I, I think travel continues to be robust. I think this year it, can, it, it will continue to be robust. Um, but we're, we're, um, people are spending their savings now in part to have experiences, uh, you know, to the extent we continue to see inflation uh, run at a very high level, people have less cash available um, for discretionary spend. Yeah, right. I would say, I mean, the, the complexities of the hotel business at the end of the day are probably a good thing if you're an investor. And, and what I mean by that is that it, it you know, there are other sectors that are easier to invest in from a real estate perspective where just your cost of capital becomes the driving force in terms of who wins and loses deals. And I think that in the hospitality space, you know, um, speaking, you know, for my, you know, on behalf of my colleagues here who, who really operationally know the business well and probably a lot of people in the room here, it, it takes an industry that a lot of people are terrified of. I mean, there's a lot of big real estate investors that when you ask them, what do you do? They'll say, well, we do X, Y, you know, We'll invest in office, we'll invest in apartments, we'll invest in industrial, but we don't touch hospitality. I, I think those complexities are all real. It is incredibly challenging um, operational environment, you know, as much today as ever. But again, that, that also keeps people out of the business and it accrues to the benefit of people that develop really um, uh, deep operational expertise. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Blackstone can invest anywhere. Maybe you have too much money, you have to invest everywhere. But you guys aren't running from the space. No, not at all. I mean, we, our overall uh, exposure to the hospitality space today is actually probably at a historic low. If, you know, we, we, our overall portfolio was about 50% hospitality heading into the global financial crisis, which was pretty scary. A lot of that was Hilton. Um, that worked out okay. Um, but going into COVID, it was about 12%. And so a lot of that has to do less from us really de-emphasizing hospitality, but getting a lot more aggressive in a couple other, a couple other sectors. Um, but um, no, we today as we sit here, I, I I think we wish we our portfolio was bigger. I think um, you know there we and we've tried. I think we've been disappointed looking back over the last couple of years that there has not been more to do. So real fast, just because we got time, t talk to me from Blackstone perspective about the other sectors out there: industrial, multifamily, retail. How's what's Blackstone's quick view of those compared to hospitality? I, I would say very specific. Like if I were to generalize our investing strategy, it's we try to identify large-scale demographic and technological shifts and get in front of them and yeah. get out of the way of the ones that are headwinds. So um, we have not been a big investor in the traditional mall business in the last 10 years, despite how much distress may be out there. 
but the, you know, the inverse you know, tailwind from a technology perspective is how the entire supply chain is being disrupted all around industrial and logistics. So we've been the biggest buyer of industrial, I think on pl you know, planet Earth in the last 10 or 12 years. So speaking to travel, I think what we like is what um, you know, um, we were just talking about, which is these, uh, pr the propensity of people to spend more today on travel and experiences. You could talk about work flexibility going forward. What is that gonna mean when people don't necessarily need to be tied to an office five days a week? Which assets benefit from that, which don't? Um, I think, I actually think technology has made people a lot more interconnected. If you look at data around just even what weddings you go to, um, you know, 30 years ago versus today, people go to birthdays and weddings of people that live hundreds of miles away because you stay connected to those people because of technology for a lot longer period of time, whereas before your world used to get very concentrated in one specific place where you live. So I think, I think travel in general has a lot of great demographic and, and um, um, a lot of great demographic tailwinds. There's just a lot of operational complexity that goes with that because the model is, is operationally intensive. Yeah. You guys agree with that? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think so. It, it's interesting. Um, Blackstone pulled back late cycle um, because, you know, we, we and others compete with you when you're in the market and, and pulled back late cycle and, and really, I, I think, was cautious in 2020. What, what was it that shifted for you? Because uh, certainly you're back out much more aggressive now than you were before. Um, but, it, but it seemed like you moved from red to yellow light to, to full green light uh, over a short period of time, which I, I have to think indicates kind of the, there's an expectation this is a good place for a while. I think, we saw, I think we saw supply picking up. I think we saw cost pressures picking up. And we saw cash flow that was sort of stagnating in a lot of markets. And, um, and that was despite the economy getting stronger and stronger. And so essentially the supply you know, in a lot of markets was sort of overwhelming. Um, demand, um, and um, and then we felt like there was you know better, more interesting relative opportunities elsewhere. I think I think today supply is going to slow down a lot um, because of what's happened in the last couple of years. I think capital has pulled out of the space. Um, I don't think there's been quite the distress that some of us at all hoped for, but um, it's it's a it's a scarier sector to invest in today because of the last couple of years, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, housing has been the best performing sector, one of the best performing sectors since 2008 and 9 when we had a housing crisis. I mean, we arguably have just been through a lodging crisis. Um, I think that will mean less capital over the next X number of years, and, and that gets us more excited. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, supply is a, a big piece of why we're optimistic about this space. Um, and uh, to hear the brands talk, their, their pipelines continue to grow, but when we look at actual deals that are going in the ground in our markets, that, that number continues to ratchet back. Um, you know, we're, we're down significantly in terms of new projects under construction within our markets from where we were coming into the pandemic. And given the amount of time, especially with supply ch uh, chain constraints that we have now, that it will take from start to finish for new projects, um, you know, if they were to get started today, um, with the backdrop that, that we see, both on the leisure and the business transient side, for very strong demand over the next several years, that, that's a great, um, a great dynamic to be able to work with. We, we heard our developers in the last panel, I mean, one, they're developers, they're gonna develop, they said it. But it is complicated, it has gotten significantly more complicated, even for the most experienced developer. Mm -hmm. Which I think means that the new guy isn't gonna do it as readily, and so that should 
that should constrain supply, mm-hmm. right? It should. Yeah. So well, you guys aren't, aren't building anything. You guys are just buying both hands. W- why? Oh, well, you asked me last week, and the answer would be different. Um, but, uh, well, what I was gonna, the point I was going to make when you asked Go. about the different asset classes was if I were to ask Tyler what are the cap rates in student housing or industrial or multifamily right now, I mean, half of, ha- yes, half, like you're probably seeing lots of threes, a yeah. lot, lot of things that start with threes, not just in multifamily, but across, across sectors. And the hotel, hotels have never had that, right? And so if you, if you, I think if you believe you're buying fundamentally sound boxes with, with a high quality brand, you put in, you have the, the knowledge on how to, how to operate them efficiently. I think you can make a scaled bet that delivers a, a much higher yield than you can get in other places. And I think your sensitivity to interest rates, and we talk about that as a, as a, uh, as a major risk. I think if you're buying something at three and a half and, and the tenure just blows out 50 basis points, I think that hurts significantly more than it will hurt the hospitality industry. And it might be a um, completely counterintuitive, but I would actually think there's probably pressure on cap rates to compress in hospitality further even in the face of rising interest rates, which is... And I think the fundamentals outside of some of these resort assets, you know, you think about rates, have lagged. I mean, we're seeing inflation everywhere, and everyone's sitting around wondering, what's going to happen to business travel? Um, You know, United Airlines put out some stats last week that showed that at the end of 2021, business travel bookings across United Airlines was still down 70% from 2019. But fast forward to last week, they're down 30%. So they're back to 70% of 19 quickly. I mean, that was like, you know, three months. And the booking revenue is down 25% because their rates are a little higher. That, how quickly business travel has come back in the last couple of months, I think bodes, bodes very well for where rates could be heading in that sector. And again, the question is like, why are we not going to see a lot of inflation in, you know, in, in, in business-oriented you know, uh, uh, ADRs? Well, the, the occupancies aren't there yet, but I, I think it's coming back, and I think it's going to come back quicker and, and, and more you know, uh, rapidly than, than, than people expect. Again, there, there, are, there are certainly some markets that are more challenged for other reasons, but some of those Sunbelt markets that are business-friendly that we talked about, um, I, I think are, are, if you could buy business-oriented hotels in those markets today, I think you're going to do pretty well over the next three or four years. Yep. Yeah. Well, look at all of our travel schedules. I would argue you're traveling a whole lot more now than you were. I mean, it's back, right? You're back to different. regular, normal travel schedule. For sure. Yeah. Pre-pandemic travel schedule. <clears throat> Yeah, if we can get Greg on some more planes, that'd be great. Um, I'm trying. Um, uh, I, I think some things that are, that are interesting, in my opinion. One, gas, I want to talk about gas, inflation, right? So gas to me, and I, this was a conversation I had out in the hall, so I'm going to repeat it because I thought it was good. They were more concerned about gas impacting the employees. For sure. Than the guest. For sure. Yeah. It's where the access to public transportation for when you're picking your, your real estate becomes really important, mm-hmm. yeah. right? It's, it's the accessibility for your labor force. Correct. 
um, less so than for your guest in certain cases? I mean, in our diligence plans now, when we're looking at a lot of assets, we are absolutely looking at the ability for them to attract talent. Like, yes. are, are we going to be able to staff the hotel? Yes. Which is not, I would say, was not something that we, we looking at access to public transportation from an employee standpoint, which is not something we've ever looked at or ever spent time, I mean, thinking about. Maybe everyone was, but we weren't. No, it, we, we weren't, definitely not. But. <laughs> we weren't either. And, and that's going to be the governor even on some of these hot markets. I, I mean, you look at Nashville as a market that's just on fire, continues to be on, on fire. Um, but the governor, I think, on, on long-term performance in that market is going to be availability of laborers. Service workers in Nashville, th there just aren't enough of them to enough. go around. Um, and there will be other markets like that um, unless they kind of solve for workers in the service industries. You have all these people who want to be in those cities, um, you know, but, but not, not people to provide kind of basic services that they need. So how are we going to solve that? So how are you going to solve that? You leaning on your managers? That's why, that's why you partner with right management teams? The, well, you've got to work much closely with your management teams, but I would say the management companies generally are, 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 are quite sophisticated in this. They've been dealing with They've been dealing with the problems of this so acutely over the past two years. Like I truly, that's not a place. Dealing with, with what, what, what management companies have had gone through, what GMs have gone through in, the, in this country, like you know, cleaning their own rooms, cleaning the bathrooms, doing that all themselves. It's been truly an incredible, I mean, I, think, I truly think they all deserve a round of applause for what they've done and kept our industry together. Because I, I would say that it's been unbelievable to watch what the manager, I, generally what the management companies have done to keep the hotels up and running. So, um, I, yeah, for real. So that's, that's the first thing, it, it, but how, how do you solve it? You know, I think there's gonna wages. be- Wages, that's the only, I, I think that's the only, sorry. I, I think the only way to solve it and to attract people back to the industry is what you're seeing with our labor costs. And it's not just in housekeeping, it's GMs, it's across the industry. Frankly, they deserve it, so mm -hmm. it's okay. I, I was gonna say, I think that, um, you know, the, the, the acuteness of the problem is going to drive some innovation. Um, if you look at the airline industry coming out of 9-11, they, they, they were forced to innovate and think about things differently that were sacred before 9-11 that they, they had to, you know, start doing differently. And I think that um, there are, there's, there's going to be, we could debate sort of margins and what's sort of sustainable and are some of these service standards today in a COVID world going to, you know, evolve back to normal. But which I think they, some of them will have to. But, but I do think that you know, the one thing that comes out of desperate times is, is innovation. And I think that the, the brands are thinking a lot about this, how to utilize technology more efficiently. Um, you know, I, I, I know when I travel, nothing drives me more crazy than when I've been on a long flight and I go to check in and there's eight people deep in a line just to hand me a key. And they say, do you, you know, do you need to know where the fitness center is? And I said, I, I, I think I can find it on the elevator bank, you know, and if I need to, I can call you. Like, I don't, I don't need to spend eight minutes at the front desk. Like, just let me go to my room. So I, I think there's going to be some things that the industry is going to do that will address it on the margins, but it, it's a problem. I would say, I, you know, you're hearing a lot of people are saying, you know, COVID's over, no one's wearing masks, it's over, and it's great, and that's fine. I just hope that we as an industry don't forget about what it went in a year from now, and then we hit another, another pandemic or another variant or another strain comes out, 
And I would hope that the reaction that we have the next time is, is, is much faster. We were completely blindsided as an industry by this. I think if I looked at how the industry came together over the past th three years, I would say it was much better than what we did in the face of Airbnb, which we did essentially nothing. And finally, people woke up to it. And the AHLA was screaming, like, hey, this is a real problem. And anyway, that's another topic for another day. I'm sorry. But, but, but I would just hope that. That, that brands, management companies, owners kind of come together and make some sustainable changes that says that if something like this happens again, we can react much more quickly. And that's what everyone went through at the property level. We don't have to go through that again. What are your other concerns, Cyril? You got a lot, but what are your other concerns out there? Other con oh, you know, I, I would say it's, um, I would say if you look across macro political instability, I mean, another today, I'm not saying that this is going to impact the hotel, the, the select service hotel industry in the US, but today it was, there was a vote of no confidence by the military in Pakistan. Imran Khan, who's been there for a long time, there was a vote of no confidence. There's destabilization happening in Pakistan. You're seeing a war in Europe that we have never seen since World War II with the full you know, invasion that everyone knew was coming, uh, hap happening, and this is in the last two months. So I would say the, the risks of something major are the things that we don't want to ever think about, because as hoteliers, we are generally optimists, and we say we're always, everything's going, going great. Um, but I would say that, what would, and maybe it's not a direct line to what worries me about my business, but what worries me in general is, is, is certainly global political instability in every corner of the earth. Greg, are people generally stressing out there? I mean, in the audience, is it a daily stress? We've been stressing for three years. It's just normal now. We're just it's living. It's just a thing. We're just it's living just with our stress. That's right. We've, some of us have lost all of our hair. <laughs> okay? It's just, it's, it's, just, it's just the normal now. I mean, is it, Ukraine's been on this list. Sorry, it's been labor, Ukraine, COVID. I can't remember the other one. Supply chain. And it's labor's at the tippy top and everything else is non-existent. Is Ukraine an issue? What is Blackstone's global perspective? Is, is global uncertainty and unrest, how concerned should we be? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it has to be a concern. I think that um, a lot of times when we define where we invest today, we, we define it more where we don't invest and we have thankfully avoided investing directly in a lot of markets that we perceive as having a much higher risk of political instability um, or don't have a great rule of law. Um, that doesn't perfectly insulate you from events like Ukraine, which obviously have a, a, a global impact for sure. Um, but we're, you know, we, we don't invest in Russia. We don't invest in um, you know, a lot of countries, in, most countries in Latin America or you know, South America. Um, we, we don't invest in the Ukraine. Um, I, I think, um, I wouldn't want to minimize the, the, the risk of Ukraine. And, and on some level, it almost feels like the stock market is kind of saying, we don't even know how to really process yeah. right. this like tail risk, that this goes really badly. So we're just going to kind of keep marching along. Yep. And so the market is sort of you know, reacting to interest rate changes and, and whatnot. But I, you know, I, I, I don't want to speculate, but it, it does seem like there is some you know, hopefully small probability that things get you know, more challenged. and. Um, and, and the whole market gets caught off guard a little bit. But um, um, I, I, other than to say it's, 
it's a, it's a serious situation and it's really sad. I, I don't have a lot else to add. Justin? I, I mean, there's plenty to be worried about. I, at the same time, when we look at what's actually materializing in our business, um, at least what's right in front of our face yep. right now looks incredibly good. And, and you know, I, I think the future is always uncertain. If we've learned nothing over the past couple of years, it's that our ability to predict what happens in the future is, is probably less um, than um, we anticipated it might be. Um, certainly true of us and our, our company. I, I think we built a platform anticipating all sorts of different cycles, um, did not anticipate what we just came through. Um, and, and fortunately, you know, some of the same things that we did anticipate and, and built around um, helped, helped us to, to do reasonably well. But when we look at our business today, um, you know, bookings, daily, average daily bookings in, for our portfolio are better than they've been in the history that we've tracked. Um, you know, and I, I think what we're seeing in terms of recovery from an occupancy and rate standpoint in our portfolio coming into March um, is, is ahead of what we anticipated coming into the year. And, and certainly, we got off to a little bit of a slow start in January, the, the entire industry did. But the ramp post um, January, kind of through February and, and definitely into March has been incredibly strong. Um, people are planning ahead for travel over the summer. And when we look at booking patterns for our portfolio, recognizing historically a lot of people book you know, in the week for the week or in the month for the month, uh, we're seeing a huge bump um, in bookings further out, so months into the future, both on the leisure side and, and the business transient side. Um, and what's materializing today is, is very good. You know, we, we've been through some incredibly challenging times. Uh, I agree with Surreal. We shouldn't forget about what happened, but we should also be prepared to take advantage of, of what could potentially be one of the best periods um, that our industry has experienced, at least over the past couple of decades. And, and you know, I, I think we're in this interesting phase where that's as likely a scenario as the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's as likely as not that we're headed into a, a major boom period, even with all of the noise, um, you know, on the periphery. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but uh, at least for us and our portfolio, and, and I imagine for a lot of the people who are here, we've seen really bad times. Um, and for most of us, we weathered it a little bit better than we maybe anticipated. Um, and, you know, I, I think th there's a lot to be hopeful. Uh, Some of this global turmoil it might keep people a little closer to home mm -hmm. for a little bit longer. You know, there was a lot of talk, I oh, think, yeah. of, you know, reopening and, and what does that mean for Europe travel and whatnot. Yeah, I, I, I just think we bet on the domestic traveler. I was just saying I'd be more, I'm more willing to bet on the domestic travel than the international traveler, yeah. even in, in the short term with, with what's happening. And, and by the way, I think that ties together fuel costs, you know, right. I mean, people don't make a decision to travel just focusing on the cost of the hotel. You know, they, they, it's, it's the whole the totality of it. It's the whole package. It's the airline ticket. It's everything. I mean, one of the best performing businesses we have right now is, is Great Wolf Resorts, which, you know, a family can stare at one number and it's essentially the whole experience. It's kind of, you know, Disney in a box and they, they're generally driving to these resort destinations. There's not, there's not a lot of uncertainty. Might not be the, you know, the, the sexiest travel destination in the world, but it, it, it is, um, it, it's kind of family entertainment in a box, drive to, don't have to buy airline tickets, et cetera. Yeah. 
don't. You, you don't have to be sexy to do well right now, which is good for all of us, right? I, I, I mean, there was all the talk of resorts and how well they were doing with leisure. Um, our portfolio was cranking from a leisure standpoint in you know suburban markets across the country with sports teams, you know, and and families traveling for summer vacation and, and things of the sort. Um, you know, we benefited with our portfolio, which is is not historically a leisure focused uh, portfolio from a huge boom in leisure um, in markets that traditionally saw very little leisure business. Not to put Greg on the spot, but I'm curious, the glamping business, the KSLs and sort of yeah. how has that experience gone? I think it's a fascinating space. We don't really invest there. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> glad we I could think get, you should. I, just, I should. It's a no, great you totally idea. shouldn't. It's, you definitely don't want it. Stay away. Um, uh, it's, frankly, it's been, it's been great. So um, for those of you who aren't familiar, KSL bought under Canvas, um, which is a glamping, a destination glamping business in 20, I want to say 2019. Uh, so uh, timing was, was excellent when everybody wanted to be traveling but outdoors and safe. Um, it, was, it was really great and I mean their, their numbers are sort of off the charts at this point. What's really interesting about it is it, it drove trial for people who don't think of themselves as campers. Right, so I'm, I'm happy, as an example, I'm happy to hike or get muddy doing mountain biking or whatever, but then I'd like a hot shower and a heavenly bed, frankly, and the idea of sleeping on the floor is unappealing. Um, but they give you all the creature comforts, but they put you in a beautiful setting that you otherwise can't get to. And they're, they're I think by March or April of this, of, sorry, by, by early March of this year, they were almost entirely sold out for the rest of 2022 because a, wow. a lot of the locations are seasonal. And at high 300s to low 400s ADRs, mm -hmm. and like silly numbers on holiday weekends. Yeah, it's been. Wow. Yeah. The it's a great experience. I, I mean, I don't know what it's like to own them, but glamping is an amazing experience. So. Which, it's, there's something so authentic about it, and I feel like as a traveler today, I think this is where Airbnb excels, you know, um, not to pump them up any more than they need to be, mm -hmm. but I, I do think travelers today, all of us individually, you, you want an authentic experience, and I think, you know, um, uh, it's, it's probably one of the challenges for, for our industry, which is that as great as um, some of the big brands are at creating the, the, the perfect replicable box, um, what does that take away from the customer experience? I think a business like Glamping gives people back that, you know, kind of something, an authentic feel. Um, it, it does. They're seeking. And, it's, and it's, to use another overused word, it, it is unique. Like you, can't, you can't get to some of these locations in, in another way unless you want to want to sort of carry in your accommodations on your shoulders. And a lot of people don't want to do that, particularly with families. And now they're adding other, they're amenitizing it further with food and beverage offerings and, you know, s'mores in a box and, and other programming that makes it even higher end. And guests are really enjoying that. I think what's nice about our space is, you know, we, we don't offer that, but what we offer is we offer a great value proposition to our guests and destinations they want to be. And, um, and the resiliency has kind of become self-evident through the cycle. Sorrel, I'm thinking of, uh, sorry, but channeling our buddy from last year, Tyler Morris, who, by the way, our shoe game is terrible this week. It is, it's, it's terrible. We need Tyler's bright colored sneakers. Um, but he said last year, 200,000 a key is the new 100,000 a key. Yeah. I mean, and it, seemingly he's totally right. Uh, and, and just thinking part of the, we're working on for Apple, whatever, Town Place Suites in Pensacola, 250,000 a key. Sounds right, right? Uh, other what conversation. Sell, what, you, sold, you helped us sell a bunch of Motel 6s. We're selling them 100000 a key? Oh, should we say Jackson Hole? 
Well, I mean, Jackson Hole is sort of an outlier, but I mean, we, I mean, it, Jackson Hole is almost three hundred thousand a key for a Motel Six. But when you're selling regular run-of-the-mill Motel Re- Six is at a hundred thousand a key. A hundred thousand a key. Just a Motel lot, Six. There's uh, not a lot below that. And and sorry, I'll, I've been too, doing this too long. It was twenty thousand a key ten years ago. And I'm not saying it's the same asset because we're in better locations, California versus, I don't know. And, uh, and, and, um, and so it's, there's been a change. But at Hampton Inn in Ocala, Florida, last weekend running $500 a night ADR. What? Uh-huh. So I think the other statement is ADR, we all know, ADR is going to get us out of this. Not rate. ADR is going to get us out of this. Call that inflation. Call it, as, as Adam Sachs, economist, said, uh, consumers still have tons of money in their pocket. Right? So that's why gas isn't going to impact them as inflation. much as it's going to impact the... Inflation. 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 Are, we saying, are we chanting inflation together because we can raise our rates very quickly? We're a part of it. I, I mean, obviously. We're, we are. We're contributing to inflation. Which in the, we in own assets, right? The joy of the whatever, inflation, at least own assets. How many assets does everybody up here own? So go for it. As inflation goes, your portfolios are increasing exponentially. Yeah. Well, and uh, replacement value is a driver of that, too. We, we talked about yes. it earlier as an inhibitor for new supply. Um, you know, it, it, it's also factored in as people are looking, especially in today's environment, where there's a little bit less certainty around what things are worth based on what they produced recently. Uh, you know, people are looking at replacement value as they make acquisitions decisions and replacement um, value driven by increasing construction costs, labor costs, supply chain issues, cost of land um, have gone up meaningfully uh, over the last little bit. Um, but, but there's that, there's also, and, and we've highlighted this a little bit, uh, hotels have traded at just relative to other uh, forms of real estate, have traded at, at high cap rates. Um, and it seems like, at least for high quality assets within each asset class, Cap rates are compressing a little bit. Um, I think you highlighted in the last panel. Um, you I don't know if I agree with you 100%, but yeah, I, I was listening. Um, things are getting really expensive um, if you're trying to buy now. Uh, and for those of us who own existing portfolios, you know, the, there's, there's an upside to that, uh, obviously. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in certain markets. You highlighted a few where per key prices have just been astronomical. Uh, you know, I, I think. Um, the Naples asset um, that you were highlighting earlier, huge per key value. That's historically been a high barrier to entry market, but when people are willing to pay that, um, you can find a way to get into high barrier to entry markets. And it'll be interesting to see how um, the success of some of these markets plays out through a full cycle. And uh, you know, I, I think all of us anticipate domestic travel will be strong in part because of the turmoil that's happening overseas this yep. year. Um, and, and you know some markets may benefit um, in, in ways o- over the short term that they can't necessarily replicate consistently. You know, 10 years from now, or, you know, over the next 10 years, um, because the the pricing such that you will begin to see some supply growth in those markets. Um, it, it's less, I think, of a, a chain scale issue. I think it will be market specific, just like we saw last time. The markets that some of the markets that are, are meaningfully outperforming. We'll see some supply growth over the next little bit. As long as Greg and Cyril will continue to pay a seven cap on year three pro forma. Is that right? Is that what we're doing? That's hey, what he was saying that. in the last the last. Didn't everybody hear that? As long as, it's my, <laughs> as long as it's my <laughs> year three pro forma, not yours. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Who gets to pick the pro forma? All right, Cyril, words of wisdom, wrapping up. Give me some words of wisdom. 
Uh, words of Soap wisdom. I will, um, I will just say this. It is, uh, I heard, I, may, I don't want to steal Lee's, Lee's thunder, but he said there were 1,700 people here, which is almost as many as he had in 19. Uh, I just want to say, Teague, truly to the Hunter family, thank you guys, because when, when, what, when we stopped traveling and stopped seeing each other and what you've done with Teague Talks and, and, and doing things to keep the industry together, I think that was pretty awesome. So to, to you to you and your brother and your family, I would just want to say thank you. Yeah. And on that note, let's go to the bar. All right, Greg, comments. Yeah, well, that's a tough one to follow. I, know, that's, I don't know how, that's what I said. On that note, let's head to the bar. What do I do? I, I think, you know, for me, um, frankly, I'm just really proud to be part of our industry. Um, you know, in the last 20 years, our industry has suffered, as has our country, right? Terrorist attack global financial crisis, right, biggest financial calamity in 80 years, and, and, and a pandemic, and each time bounce back stronger. Um, you know, what we've gone through recently is the worst time in our industry in recorded history, right, on some level. Yep. And, you know, we continue to exceed everyone's expectations as an, as an industry, and I, I'm just incredibly impressed with that and just really proud to be part of it. I would say get out there and get on the road and travel. I think there's nothing that um, competes with being together with people in person. Um, some of these guys I've been friends with for a long time, haven't seen, unfortunately, for, for too long. Nothing beats being uh, in person. I think what you pick up, you know, uh, whether it be on a property tour or just face-to-face -face with somebody, and when anybody tells you outside of the hotel industry that people aren't gonna travel as much or this or that, I, I would just remind them that betting against the basic human desire to uh, be together and socialize is, is I, 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 uh, I'm gonna take the other side of that, uh, that bet. And I think um, um, it, it, I'm looking forward to the world being back completely to normal, but it's nice that we're uh, making some progress getting there. Yeah, I, I would agree with everything that's been said and add, you know, um, Tyler, you highlighted earlier, difficult times breed innovation um, and, and ultimately make us better and stronger. And, uh, you know, I, I think certainly together we've experienced some incredibly challenging times over the past couple of years. Um, I, I think we come out of this better as an industry, uh, better as individuals, and with greater appreciation for what really matters, both on a personal level um, and, you know, as an industry. I, I, I think, one, uh, Tyler, you hit it the nail on the head, the housing market was the, did the best since the housing crisis. Hopefully the hospitality industry will do the best after the hospitality crisis. Um, I want to say thank you guys for coming. Th th I think our industry of a positive people, you guys show from being here truly from the bottom of our hearts, we'll keep leading. If you guys keep following, following us, keep leading into us, we're going to keep putting ourselves out there, keep showing up to these conferences, keep traveling, keep uh, supporting this hospitality industry, and we thank you more than you know.